Before we get started, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by the Steady Beat Survival Guide. In this free ebook, I share my top 20 favorite songs and chants for Steady Beat in the elementary music classroom. To grab your free copy, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash steadybeat. Again, that's thatmusicteacher.com slash steadybeat. You can also check out the show notes wherever you're listening to this episode now. You're listening to That Music Podcast with Bryson Tarbett, the curriculum designer and educational consultant behind That Music Teacher and the Elementary Music Summit. Each week, Bryson and his guests will dive into the reality of being an elementary music teacher and how music can truly be transformative in the lives of the students you serve. Show notes and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at thatmusicteacher.com. Hello and welcome back to this episode of That Music Podcast. Today, I have the one and only Melissa Stauffer today, and we're going to be chatting about classroom management and how we can use the way we set up our classrooms to help set ourselves and our students up for success. So, Melissa, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So before we get too far into the weeds on what is definitely a conversation <laughs> that needs to happen um, for so many teachers with, about classroom management, can you let us know who you are, where you teach, and that kind of fun stuff so we can get to know you a little bit more? Sure. Um, so I am Melissa Stoffer. Um, I am in Michigan. Um, and I, uh, well, I'm currently not in a classroom right now. Um, I stepped out at the beginning of COVID because of a congenital heart defect that I have. And um, I didn't really know how it was going to affect things like that at the time. And I was teaching um, preschool through fifth grade general music, elementary choir, middle school choir, middle school band at the time. And they, the students usually did like a musical and two cantatas and festival and marching band. And I also did yearbook. <laughs> so it was kind of one of those like, oh, yeah, I, I see everybody from like for 12 grade levels, like. It, it just wasn't going to happen. So um, in the meantime, I've picked up like all this extra stuff that I'm doing um, for Michigan Kodai and for Oak and for the Michigan Music Education Association. So I'm on the board for Mike and I chaired MKMEA's conference last fall and I am on Oaks Conference Committee for Jacksonville this year, and I help plan the Michigan State Conference, and I am one of the co-chairs of our PD committee right now. So in other words, the reason I didn't look for a job this year is because if I took on something else, it might be really, really bad. Um, and so that I do those things, and then in my spare time, I kind of have like a blog and a podcast and a Teachers Pay Teachers store that, and Man Etsy store that I put things in sometimes. So. Well, I'm sure that definitely keeps you busy. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I might have said yes to one too many things. I have a problem with that. I mean, I can't say anything over here. Um, <laughs> so I'd love for us to start a conversation about classroom management. I know this is something that I've talked about before on the podcast. Um, but I truly believe it's something that just 
is so pivotal and foundational that we can never talk about it too much. So in your view, why is classroom management important for teachers? Oh my gosh. So first of all, I am super, super with you on this. And classroom management is literally, to me, the key that you hold to either get everything done or nothing done at all. If your students are not getting things done, it is totally a classroom management issue. It's not they're being lazy and and I might you know I might have people coming for me saying this but really like it is part of classroom management if you can't manage the behavior that you're seeing in your room then everything goes back to that and it's it is like the biggest key and I am the absolute perfect example of this so if you um if you actually want to see proof for this I have um a picture when I was in first grade, I was a child that could not sit still. I never, ever, ever shut up. Um, and I was, I was that child. Um, and I have a picture of my report card from first grade that said, yeah, I had a passing grade, but my contact was totally a B. Um, and that was probably pretty good for me because I couldn't stand at my seat. And you know, this wasn't my music teacher, but my first grade teacher had to let me stand at my desk. And that was her way of managing my behavior because otherwise I would just get up and walk around the classroom. So, you know, I have a pretty good academic history, but I couldn't get anything done if I couldn't stay at my desk to get my work done. And I I think that I honestly, okay, I got to put the cards on the table. I'm really excited for this conversation uh, because today was a rough day for me, (laughs) classroom management wise, as we're recording this. Um, We had every, literally every single teacher that I had, except for one at my elementary school today had a sub. And it was just, (gasps) that alone, it was just, it was a little rough and it was, I, I felt there were a lot of times where I felt like, what am I doing? There's no way I'm getting through this lesson. Um, and I, I wanted to kind of chat about classroom management because I, I remember that feeling every single day in my first few years of teaching. Um, yes. And I, I, I would love to help people not feel that way. Um, so before we get yes. too far in, what do you think people get wrong about classroom management? Because I know there's a lot of stuff out there. <laughs> Okay, so first of all, I'm going to say if you're like dealing with lots of subs, then that's not on you. If there's other things like it's a full moon and it's Halloween and, you know, okay, so bear those things in mind or, you know, like the Lions finally made the Super Bowl and you happen to live in Detroit or something like that. (laughs) Um, So what you can get wrong about classroom management, and, and this is the thing I think is the biggest, is that it's just about rules and regulations. It's, it is not about those things. It's not about saying, well, you have to do this. You have to do that. You have to do this. Don't do this. Don't do that. That's not the management thing. The classroom management is really, it really stems from building relationships with your students first. And this means that really when your students look back on your time with them. They're not going to remember every lesson. They're not going to remember every song or every game or things you did, but they're going to walk out and remember how you made them feel. And when they look back on you in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, they're going to remember that. And 
me in high school again. So I'm, I'm a perfect example of classroom management affecting a student. And I never did as well in the classes that I didn't like the teacher. And I, I was totally this person um, because I would zone out. I would do homework from other classes. Um, and I'd like to point out that I graduated with over a four point in high school, but my band class was first hour in the guy's school next door. I went to an all girls high school and it was at the back end of the school. And my high school was next door, the all girls school. And my second hour algebra class was in the very, very front of the school. And the school was actually about a quarter of a mile long. So not only did I have to leave first hour if I left on time and pack up a tenor saxophone and carry it back across the parking lot to the other building and get in the building and go all the way down and go into my locker and open everything up. Um, because a lot of times I had zero hour jazz band. So I wasn't even in my school before second hour and get stuff or put my coat away. Cause I couldn't take it to class and get into my algebra class. And this teacher that I had for algebra and actually had her for calculus as well. Uh, my senior year, just every day, every time I was late, she just glared at me. Like I was, you know, something that I had done wrong because I had to lug a 15 pound instrument, you know, a quarter of a mile down to my locker and then get to her class. But that relationship that I had with her affected how I acted in her class. I was always a little less, nice. I was definitely somebody who probably um, was maybe a little surly when I was not happy. Um, and that that relationship is so different than other teachers I had second hour because they're like, oh yeah, sure, you're coming from another class. You can't help it. You're coming from the guy's school. It, it, it was a very, very different situation. And, and that relationship, I mean, it's been longer than I'd like to say it's been. But I remember that I remember walking in and feeling like I was, you know, ostracized because I happened to choose band as my first hour class. And I think that that's what we really truly get wrong about classroom management is that it's not about the rules. It's about those things that you see first and remember first, not because you're not going to remember, oh, don't, don't put your pencil, you know, parallel to the the rule that's not classroom management that's you know little you know nitpicking at what's going on yeah I think you bring up a really good point where sometimes we get so stuck on what are the rules of my classroom and we think that that is classroom management when the reality it is like the smallest part classroom management is really how your classroom functions as a community as a micro, microcosm of society, if you will. And by thinking about how students feel and thinking about how to engage students and thinking about how your lessons are structured in a way to set them up for success, that is going to innately help you when it comes to, quote unquote, managing your classroom and managing behaviors. Because I truly believe that if you're spending your time managing behaviors, you're not teaching. And sometimes that's just the luck of the draw. And sometimes you can, you'll, you, you know, you can get through, get through 10 minutes of content in a 40 minute class. But as you keep working and keep iterating and keep building upon the foundation you've set, you're able to really make it so your students want to do what you want them to do. And that innate 
internal motivation, you, you can't put a price on that. Yes, definitely. And, and that's something that, you know, students will kind of take advantage of those situations where they do see that you're out of control because you haven't built that relationship with them yet. And that's, you know, I remember my first year teaching, I had a class that, oh my gosh, this class, I could get nothing done with at all. It, it was just, it, it was a disaster. And I, I still think about some of those kids and, and stuff. And those kids totally exploited the fact that I was so overwhelmed with everything um, and that I didn't know them that well. So, you know, that that's really where it gets to. I, I talk a lot of them about this, like when I'm coaching newer teachers, when they're like, wow, you know, it's October, or, you know, it's September, and I still feel like I haven't gotten through anything. And I'm like, okay, well, how many times have you really seen them? You know, if you're only seeing them once yes. a week, it's basically the second week of school, you know, like, give yourself some grace mm -hmm. and build upon these things. It will get easier as you continue to build that relationship. Um, but I think you bring up a really good point about the, the relationship is incredibly foundational. And I know that you have a lot of thoughts on this, and I'd love to, for you to share them, but <laughs> let's talk about names. Let's talk about student yes. names. I mean, I think we can both agree that knowing student names and calling them by their names is incredibly important. But why is that so? And then on the practical side of it, how do we as teachers who have hundreds of students learn their names? Okay, so <laughs> names. I'll try to stay off the soapbox. Like, if you don't know somebody's name, how can you possibly talk to them and have a conversation? Like you've met people as just put yourself in the shoes for anybody who's listening. Just think about a spot where you've met, been somewhere at like some professional thing and you've met a bunch of people and you're trying to remember somebody's name and it's just so awkward and you're trying so hard to come up with it. And like, you're looking for a name tag and you're being weird about it because you it, and maybe you're not really being weird but you feel like you're being weird um and if you don't know what I'm talking about well I'm that weird person um so it, if you are doing that with your students they know when you don't know their names they're gonna you can't look at a, a kid and go hey you because they First of all, with your younger ones, they're just totally going to, ah, because they have no clue that you are talking to them um, because they're used to being called, you know, whatever they're being called. And for the older ones, if they realize that you don't know who they are, they can get away with anything because you can't mark down who did what. Like, you can go to the teacher afterwards, their classroom teacher, and be like, hey, it was this kid, but I don't remember their name and ask, but don't let yourself ever get caught with the same student more than once that you don't know their name. And the the key here is to really, really just, it can seem super repetitive. There are a ton of name games that you can do and let them, you know, play the games. I would rather take more time at the beginning of the school year and waste time, quote unquote, playing name games to make sure you know who they are than go further and try to keep teaching and not know who they are. Because then you can't assess, you can't grade, you can't manage their behavior. You have no clue about those things. And 
something else that's really important about this is always ask their preferred name. What do you want to be called here at school? Because there are students you'll get, like, especially when they're really little. Um, I had a preschooler at a Montessori I was teaching, and this student had a a very, very long name. And the teachers were calling this student a three-letter abbreviation of this name. And this kid was just completely oblivious, oblivious, oblivious until we heard somebody call them their full name. And they're like, oh, yeah, they they didn't know that they were being talked to. Like it, it took like two weeks for them to figure out that the kid had no clue he was being talked to because he was not being addressed how he was addressed at home. And, and that's something with with little, little ones, you, you know, you need to ask the parents that and figure that out. But for older students, they can tell you what they want to be called at school. And that should be, you know, what you call them. And and don't deviate from that. If you have a, a student that hates the, their first name and they like the nickname, call them the nickname. I mean, that's kind of, at that point, one of those relationship building things that, you know, oh, well, Mrs. Stoffer always calls me the name I hate. Eh, right? So I had... um when I student taught, um, the lady didn't, I'm calling her a lady lightly. She didn't actually pronounce my last name correctly ever. Um, and she didn't pronounce it like the frozen food company that gives us lasagna and macaroni and cheese. Um, she pronounced it kind of the correct German way, which is not how my husband's family pronounces it. And she insisted on correcting me on how it was pronounced for the entire semester, including at the concert, which I student taught with high school choir. And when she said my name at the concert, the students actually corrected her on stage, like as a group, loudly. And oh my goodness, I love that. that <laughs> I, I mean, I love—I seriously love them for that. But seriously, let me tell you, like how awkward it was the one time I ran into her at a state conference, and she was like, "Hi, how are you?" Or you know, and I was like, "Good." And then I just didn't say anything else and stared at her until she walked away because that relationship was just a disaster. So she obviously did not manage my behavior. <laughs> yeah, I I just, oh my gosh, I see so many people that get so up in arms about calling their you know students by certain things. And I'm just like, I personally, I'm just like, it's not worth it. Call them by the no. name they want to be called. It's going to be easier for you. It's going to, they're going to feel more involved more a part of it more validated and i'm just like why are we why are we making things harder when they don't yes. honestly i mean and this is something like for for especially students who might be going through a transition if they are saying to be called something at school and you know there's the i, I mean this now there's this whole legal thing where if you're in certain states you can't do this so please you know protect yourself legally. Um, but you know, if you have a student who, who identifies by a name they want to be called and a gender they want to be called that, and you are legally allowed to do that at school, then please, by all means do that. Now I'd like to point out that I taught in a itty bitty religious school and I have had a student who has since come out to me, um, as trans and felt safe doing so 
which, you know, obviously in that school, I never pushed that boundary because of where I was, but it was nice to know that student felt secure with me. So, so let's dive into that. I would love to dive into how classroom management and inclusivity are related, because I think we are both in agreement that when students included it just everything works better and everything is going to run so much smoother oh my gosh yes this is this is really really oh this is such a thing like and this can go for like literally everything and it's not just for you know a a student who may be trans or any you know it is for all of your students, if they don't think it's for them, they they won't participate. If they don't feel like they're part of your room, um, and I feel like I'm pretty sure most people at this point have heard the quote about windows, mirrors, and sliding glass doors by Rudine Sims Bush Bishop, Dr. Rudine Sims Bush Bishop. Um, And if you've not, please go look it up. Um, It's pretty long, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. But basically, it's talking about how windows can, or not windows, how books can be either a window or a mirror or a sliding glass door into people's lives. And if a student doesn't feel like they are reflected in your classroom, like if, if you have one student... And, and I'll put myself here on the on the, the box. I'm I'm half Asian, um, and I grew up in the '80s and the '90s, so there was not a lot of children's literature that really um, reflected Asian students, um, apart from one book, which we are not using anymore because it's been deemed as pretty racist, um, and I'm not going to repeat it. But um, especially as somebody who's half, I you know I never really saw myself and because I am half white and I am white passing, like, you know, I did feel reflected in some ways, but for somebody who might not feel reflected in that, okay, I've walked into a room and there's nothing that I'm interested in. There's nothing that looks like me. There's nothing that sounds like something I know. There's no music I've listened to. Oh, the music I listened to at home was just told that it's not good enough for school. Like, you you basically isolated this child for whatever reason and it could be multicultural representation it could be othering their culture like this is western classical music and it is wonderful and here's everything else that is world music and this is like you know the majority of the world's population is just the other stuff um you know never mind that some of it is so much more complicated than western classical music that it would blow most western classical musicians minds because they can't do it um it could be for accommodations like if if you are you know if you have a deaf student and you just don't talk to them ever or don't include them or give them something that they can participate in you you've left them out it's not for them um it could be decor choices. I'm totally not into Harry Potter. Like, it's just not my thing. I tried really hard. I watched the movies once, so I understand references, and I was still kind of like, eh. If I walked into a classroom that was completely decked out in Harry Potter, and it's a Harry Potter theme, and everything is Harry Potter themed, to be honest, I'd be probably kind of like, oh, God, again, do I have to? Like, it's not for me. And when you isolate somebody 
and you say, this isn't for you, then why should they behave or pay attention or participate? And all of those problems that can come in a classroom management might manifest because they don't think it's for them. I, <laughs> it, it drives me nuts to no end where so many things about giving students a high quality education boil down to give them a reason to want to be there, give them a reason mm-hmm. to want to do it. And we, we, you know, we, you've, we've all seen these speakers that come into your districts and talk about, um, you know, engaging students, this, that, and the other thing. But for some of us, it's, or for, for some people, you, you hear conversations and you're just like, why aren't we listening? Because I truly believe, again, if we make students, if we give the students a reason to want to be there, they will do it, at least for the most part. You know, obviously everyone's going to have bad days, but, you know, they're going to want to do well because they've, you know, they've, they've been given a reason to, not just, just because we said so. Yes. And I think that there's a mistake in that we always think the engaging means, oh, more tech, oh, more games, oh, more you know, flashy, like it doesn't have to be the flashy. And it's kind of like the same with the, I call it the Instagram classroom because it's, it's just so overwhelmingly decorated. And, you know, this could be another way of isolating a a child. Like if there's a room that is just too much going on, you know, physically in terms of sound, if there's somebody who's already distracted and there's lots of sound and lots of stuff on the walls and tons and tons of stuff going on, that might be another way of isolating. And that you don't need to engage students by giving constant flashiness. It just needs to be well thought out and make sure that they feel like it is for them. And if it's not for them, that there are things for them that they know are coming or you've done in the past. I love that. And I think you bring up a really good point at the end where it's, you know, obviously not everyone is going to love everything we do all the time, but the goal is that we should be engaging all of our students. We should be getting their buy-in. We should be doing something that activates them and lights them up, not just once every year. (laughs) We should be, we should be doing that consistently. Yes. Um, I know we're kind of stuck in the woo and I, I, I could keep this conversation going on forever, but I'd love to zoom in a little bit and see if we can get some practical tips because yes. as much as we can say build a relationship learn their names this that and the other thing there are definitely situations where you're in this situation you're just trying to keep your head above water and i'd love for my listeners to get some actionable stuff to at least get them going in the right direction um Absolutely. so let's chat about how we can set up our lesson structure itself in a way that allows students to be set up for success especially when it comes to meeting those classroom expectations. Okay, so lesson structure is super important. Uh, Think about yourself as an adult for a moment and how long your attention span is. Um, I can't sit through a half an hour TV show because I have to get up and like do something or I get distracted by my phone and I'm an adult (laughs) who's been out of high school for quite a while. so now put yourself into like a little kindergartner's shoes, five to seven minutes tops on one thing. I know if if it's like the one thing that they just like, they are super into, they're super engaged. They're really doing it. I'd stop it anyways, five to seven minutes. And then they're like, no, 
you can bring it back because you haven't lost them yet. If you go too long, you will lose students in that. So the other kicker here is to make sure that it's not just all high concentration, 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 because that can be mentally tiring. And it's really important to balance your lessons so that Okay, if you have a welcome song, then you do something high concentration for five to seven minutes. Then you kind of give them a five to seven minute break that might be play a game that's related to the song you just did. And then you go and you practice reading a rhythm um, and you're doing little rhythm flashcards with a partner or, you know, something like that. And then you go back balancing and going back and forth and starting out with kind of high concentration and then, you know, something easier and then super high concentration in the middle of the lesson and then something much easier and then go back to something that is high concentration but maybe not as taxing as that really super high concentration and going back and forth and finding a way to kind of wind down your class with a book some sort of light activity um, maybe some sort of you know creative work where they can kind of relax a little bit but they're not you know beating their brains, trying to figure out like, you know, what it is or something. That's really kind of the the key of how you want to set up a lesson so that they can go back and forth and not be too much of one thing. So I first heard of this concept referred to as stress and rest. And that, I didn't like that because I'm like, well, I have 40 minutes, you know, like we got to go. So I like the the term stress and less a little better because, and I don't mean like stress as in, you know, we're getting stressed out, but like a little bit more mentally taxing, a little more, a little bit more concentration, like you mentioned. Um, And, you know, really finding that balance is hard. Um, It can be hard, a little little bit of trial and error, especially, you know, as you get to know your kids and the age group, things like that. But one of my best things that I implemented into my teaching that COVID threw out of the world completely, and I'm so glad we can get back to it, is just physically changing where the students are in the space. Yes. Even in even in in person, like, all right, we could totally sit here and do this next part, but you know what? We're going to move over and sit on this side of the room. And just that that shift of we're going to move and we're not sitting in the same place, even if, hey, we're sitting here and now we're going to clap and sing a song and then we're going to move over there and sit there. And it's just, it's enough to kind of re, kind of put some bookends on what we're, what we're doing and kind of reset our focus, reset our our expectations. And it stops us from getting in that, that, that stuck, of, you know, we are in the same spot. Even if you're having to do, you know, especially if we're doing like a presentation lesson or something where there's a lot of more content, that you, you know, a lot of content shoved into yes. the lesson moving around can make it feel a lot mm-hmm. less stressful, a lot less taxing because we're able to offer a little bit of a reset in between. Yes. Um, and if you're somebody like me who's taught in small spaces, it doesn't have to be go to one side of the room or the other because that totally was not something I could do. Um, what you could do for that situation is stand up, sit down. Yeah, they can totally do this thing while they're sitting, but why not do it while you're standing up? <laughs> you know, or switch seats with a partner or something just to like kind of change it up a little bit. I mean, but I've taught in rooms where I've had like 10 kids who couldn't even sit in a circle because it was so small. So um, that's a way to move around if, if you don't have a lot of space. I love the modification. Um, my, one of my favorite ways, and I, this, I typically use this a little bit more for my upper elementary is if we're just in a weird, there's some weird stuff going on you know, we're playing a game or something, but like, there's just, everyone's kind of like, man, I'm like, all right, find a new spot. 
just we just tried to we're just we're just yes. moving everyone's you know it's it's enough of a scatter it's enough of a reset to at least hopefully jumpstart us and get us going in the right direction so i yeah, love that you that's really well. that's really good too when you're doing passing games in a circle and you have like two kids next to each other that just cannot pass on the beat it will happen and you'll just have to be like okay everybody get up and find a new seat and you can't sit next to who you were sitting before love it <laughs> uh, so, I done that. <laughs> for sure so there's definitely a balance of making sure students feel part of the community, but also making sure that there are norms that are established and that you're holding students accountable to those expectations. So how do you suggest a teacher hold students accountable? Okay. So, so first of all, like when you, you do need rules and I, and I feel like I've kind of glossed over this because it's about relationships, but really, yeah, there are totally rules. And, and I kind of have like non-negotiable rules in my room where it's kind of like, this is a huge deal. We're, we have a problem. And what I mean, like, okay, there's the huge infractions. Like you tackled a classmate because you were playing a chase game and you got too excited. That's a huge deal versus, okay, you stepped over an instrument, you know, better, like next time walk around, it's not a huge deal. But at the same time, it is something in the classroom that I say is like a normal rule. Um, so, so I've set these kind of like non-negotiables of be kind, which is also saying like it's a safe space, which means like, you know, if you're giving constructive criticism to a friend, you have to be constructive, not just, well, I didn't like that. Um, you know, everybody, you know, we don't say unkind words about different kinds of music. We are kind to our friends. Um, and for the be safe things, it's, you know, don't tackle. And, and, you know, that if you if you kind of have that sort of unsafe behavior popping up, you shut it down right away. There's not a second chance for that. And that's, that's kind of how I hold them accountable to, to those things is so like if we are playing a passing game with a ball and you are throwing it and you're just whipping it around the room, that's it. You've had your warning before we started. Your warning was if I see unsafe behavior, we'll stop playing. And if I see it, that's it and it goes away and there's no second chance and you don't get to, you know, bring it back for a while. Um, and you know, and holding them accountable might be removing something or having a conversation. Why did you say that? How would you feel if somebody said that to you or about your work? What can you say to a friend that's sad? How can you help them feel less sad or hurt? What do you think could happen if you continue to hit your uh, neighbor with a rhythm stick? What if somebody next to you helped them? And this is one of those things about having a conversation that might not, it might not be, well, that wasn't very nice. They might not understand why, especially if they're very little, help them hear it from, you know, a spot that helps put them in that person's shoes or in the reason of why this is not a good choice. Um, and, and that's really, I think really important in there as well is to, to have that conversation. Um, and if you're looking to learn more about that, I would definitely recommend the book, um, responsive classroom for music, art, PE and other specials, uh, special area teachers. It's like green and purple. And I want to say like orange, or peach or something like that. Um, there's a lot in there about how to t 
talk to students in those situations that would be really helpful um, about holding them accountable, but not just, you know, playing the name game or using a clip chart, like no clip charts. Here's me, first grade, Melissa, again, can't help it. And if my teacher had put my name on the board, I would have been unread every single day. And I definitely would not be the person I would now because I would have internalized that I'm a bad kid. You know, and that's not how we we hold them accountable. Because if a student struggles and they can't get themselves off of red and they just, you know, like what if our admins did that for everything that you didn't do the way they wanted to and they have a clip chart with your number on the, you know, displayed in the front office so same thing you know and if it just falls completely apart you know walk them back out in the hallway tell them hit the reset button get quiet take a breath leave whatever it was outside and go back in and start your class over I love that responsive classroom resource. I found that book the summer before my first year of teaching. And I'll be honest, I don't do all the things it talks about, um, but I I do a lot of what you were just saying about um, using the, the kind of verbiage and things that it talks about of how to talk to students through situations. Um, and I'll be honest, like I said, today was rough. We did a lot of walking back out into the hallway and walking back in to repractice those things, you know, taking the moment and say, all right, I'm not going to hold this over, but we have 30 minutes left. The first 10 minutes have been a disaster. Let's walk outside. Let's leave it, leave whatever happens out there. Let's come back in. We'll give it another shot. And I found that to be really successful. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's going to work the first time. Like we've said before, and I know it's a yes. frustration, especially if you're new, but that relationship is more than half of the battle. But once you already have those expectations, and I, I have similar expectations, my expectations in my classroom are to be safe, responsible, and respectful. Um, and I, I hold the students accountable for that. And I, I, I do that in a way that is loving and understanding. And you know, it's not just like, we're doing this because, but I'm saying, you are going to be safe because, you know, if we can't, you know, if, if we play, if we're playing this game and we keep getting hurt, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be allowed to play it anymore. I'm going to get in trouble and I don't want anyone to get hurt. You know, we don't want to send anyone to the nurse's office. And just kind of going through it, that can be super helpful to just let them know why certain things. I know I was definitely one of those kids that was like, well, why? why can't I do this? You know, well, why is it that? Why is that the rule? And being able to just talk through it, and it doesn't have to be this super long conversation. It could just be super in passing. But I, I've seen it be super helpful for students. Yes. I mean, so, and sometimes, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, sometimes you let, need to let them know, too, that there there's levels of of what like those critical things are like the difference between talking when you are talking versus talking during a fire drill. Like there's a big difference and why one is not as big as the other. So. I'll be honest. I could continue this conversation for another couple hours. Um, make it a whole, whole series, a whole, a whole season of the podcast could be just about classroom management. Um, but I would like to leave us on a, an actionable item. What do you yes. think is a number one tip for teachers that are sitting there going, I'm struggling with classroom management. What is something they can implement? Ideally something actionable that they can implement to try to improve their classroom. Okay. So I, I know I've did this whole thing about setting, you know, relationships and really building them and, and things like that. But if you are looking for something that you can do like right now is set procedures, 
relationships take time. And if you are struggling, go and, and start setting procedures. This is how you walk in the room and, and pick one procedure a week if you need to. This is what it looks like when you walk in the room. This is how you do it and model it for them. Be really clear with your language and your movements. Show them what it looks like and what it sounds like. Demonstrate it for them and then ask them to identify what they notice that you did. Um, if you're struggling with kids running in the room, immediate set this procedure right now and practice it take five minutes. If you take five minutes, it's much better than letting a room full of kindergartners run into your classroom, running and screaming because the teacher has thrown the door open and go, go, go ahead. Um, this used to happen to me. Um, set what it looks like for them and then, you know, see what they can do. And, and as you are back to this responsive classroom thing, as you are kind of going through and, and showing them these procedures and things, you know, don't call out individual students, but say, Oh, I really, I've, I've, see a friend who is, you know, walking so nicely. I see somebody who is, you know, got their hands in their lap or whatever you're looking for, but go and set those procedures. Um, and it could be for anything, what to do during a drill, what to do when you get an instrument out, how to pass out pencils, because if they know these things, they're just going to keep doing them every single time that you see them. And it, the best part about this is you really only have to review them every year with the older students for anybody who might be new, um, because the majority of your students are going to remember them. Um, and, and hopefully new students will be like, oh, yeah, this makes sense because my previous teacher did this. Um, but really, it's about teaching it to those youngest students and making sure that they know it because then they will internalize it and remember it and continue to do it year after year. Um, I have a free checklist in my Teachers Pay Teacher store about procedures. Um, the I will send... Uh, Bryson a link to for show notes or whatever um be, and it's just like a laundry list of things that you might want to talk about um and how to show them what to do but those are the things I think that that's the number one tip I could say right now to improve your management is that um and it if it's if you're finding a breakdown during games start with a procedure for how you play the game or or this, and, you know, give them appropriate praise when they do it correctly. I love that. And I, I think that you, you bring a lot of really good points. Um, and I will definitely link that resource in the show notes. Um, so speaking of, how can my listeners connect with you online and continue this conversation? Uh, sure, absolutely. Um, I am always available to answer questions. If you just need somebody to bounce ideas off of, um, my email is Mrs. Stoffer's Music Room at gmail.com. You can find me on my website at Mrs. Stoffer's Music Room.com. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, um, Teachers by Teachers and Etsy. Um, it's either Mrs. Stoffer's Music Room or Mrs. S. Music Room because they won't let me have all my letters. <laughs> all right. Well, I will be sure to take all of those links and put them in the show notes. Melissa, thank you so thank much you. for what I believe will probably be the beginning of a conversation about classroom management for a lot of people. Obviously, yeah. this is one of those conversations that we will never be done with. Um, but thank you no. so much for chatting with me today. 
Yes. And if you ever need to bounce an idea, if you're struggling with something in classroom management, please feel free to, you know, bump me an email and be like, hey, help. <laughs> I will totally email you back. All righty. Thank you so much. Thank you.